that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk on this Thursday. It's Doug Maurice. We are doing something a little different on this one. We have a guest. He's Austin Gale of PFF. And Nathan and I had an interview with Austin. That's Nathan Baird. You know him. And we talked about this new project. Listen, it's funny. They do a tour, right? They say, hey, do you want to interview me? It's like, yeah, let's take interesting people to talk about. But they're promoting their thing. But the thing we think is of interest to you if you can get past it. Aiden Hutchinson. Remember him? Michigan defensive end. They did a four-part podcast series with him called Hutch. But there's Ohio State stuff in there. So we talked, you know, the Ohio State game from last year. Might get some intel. We talked to Austin about that. And then we talked to Austin about Garrett Wilson in this draft, Chris Olave in this draft. We talked about Aiden Hutchinson compared to the Boses and Chase Young. And then we talked about C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba and what they might look like in the draft next year. So there's some good Ohio State content in here. This is primarily that interview. Nathan and I come back at the end and wrap up a little bit. But uh, that's what we're going to give you on this day. And then just one other thing I just want to mention. You guys know by now Denzel Ward, the former Buckeye, signed a five-year 100.5 million. I don't know what it's the 0.5. Uh, it could be 100 million, but it's 100.5. I'm actually 500,000. Like I've, I always like throw the $500,000 away. Can you imagine? Someone threw a nickel in my yard. I dive out my window to get it. I'm throwing away $500,000. It's 100.5 million. Denzel Ward's five year deal with the Browns. I sent out a text to the tech subscribers. Ohio State now, I think, has five of the top 26 non-quarterback biggest contracts in the NFL, Joey Bosa, Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Ward, Michael Thomas, Ezekiel Elliott, and then Nick Bosa is going to get paid. Terry McLaurin's going to get paid. Chase Young will eventually get paid. So it's one of those things. All the colleges love to do the graphics. Nick Saban had something at a speaking engagement this week where he said since 2007, Alabama players have made $1.7 billion in the NFL. So the colleges, love, they don't want to pay their, their own players, but then once they get to the NFL, they want to talk about how much money they're making. So uh, Ohio state does that. They put out a graphic on Denzel Ward. That's pretty good, right? A lot of, a lot of Ohio state guys getting paid. Congratulations to all those guys. But if you never read, I did a big story on Denzel um, about two years ago, and it's about the death of his father while Denzel was at Ohio state. And his family, his family is amazing. His mother is amazing. His grandparents are amazing. His brother is amazing. And if you've never read it, um, it just gives you a little lens in Denzel Ward, who was really this kind of this quiet, humble guy at Ohio State. who certainly has come into his own. He just spoke at Brown's camp on Wednesday. And when he gets that kind of money, they're talking about he's becoming more of a vocal leader. He wants to be a foundational piece for the Browns in his hometown that this kid from Nordonia High School, three-star recruit, goes to Ohio State, number four pick in the draft by the Cleveland Browns, his hometown team, and now he signs this big deal. Like, awesome. What a story. What a story. So if you want to read about it, it's called uh, Denzel Ward's Father Passed Down a Name and a Gift. So if you Google that, you'll you'll find it. If you've never read it, I just think you might like it because Denzel Ward's back in the news, and uh, he's a really good person, a really good football player. And uh, congrats to him. All right, let's get to this. Me, Nathan, Austin Gale, talking about the Ohio State-Michigan game from last year, talking about some draft stuff for the Buckeyes next on Buckeye Talk. 
So he's Austin Gale, director of content. He's the co-host of Tailgate. And uh, PFF, listen, he's here. They like did a movie. I don't know. I said, it's not like a movie, but it's like a, this giant project. It's interesting to see a site like PFF take this on. I love stuff like this. It's a four-episode podcast series with Aiden Hutchinson. You guys know Aiden Hutchinson, that guy from Michigan who terrorized Ohio State in the Ohio State-Michigan game. Likely going to go number one overall in the uh, NFL draft next week. It's titled Hutch. 50-plus interviews. You talked to Jim Harbaugh. You talked to Daniel Jeremiah, Ian Rappaport, Chris Fowler, David Ajabo. Lots more people about Aiden Hutchinson, his upbringing all the way to his prep for the NFL draft. And you can get this, what, Austin, it's everywhere. Is that right? Hutch yep, is everywhere. Anywhere you get your podcast, it's also on PFF's YouTube channel. It was phenomenal working with Aiden, talking about that infamous Ohio State win and Woo. really going game by game with him over this past season, right? He's a guy that he was going to go into the draft if he didn't get hurt in 2020, breaks his ankle in 2020, makes this decision to come back with goals around beating Ohio State and winning a Big Ten title. He obviously does that and now is um, you know, on his way to being potentially a number one overall pick. So after the Ohio State-Michigan game, when we were splitting up duties and stuff, I went to the Michigan post game and you got a sense after that game of what a driving force Aiden Hutchinson is not just as a player, but as, as a force in the locker room, as a force in the Harbaugh era, pushing Michigan to do this thing they had not gun, done in so long. Um, what, what sense did you get from him? Listen, we know he's talented, Right. And by the way, we're not going to like just talk about this Michigan guy for 25 minutes on an Ohio State podcast, but he seemed like he's got something right. Like, and I'm sure that must have come out in this podcast series. 100%. I think you find out a lot about him, right, and the makings of what could be a number one overall pick, at least the top five pick in the NFL draft, what it took, you know, him growing up, his, you know, early high school football career, you know, early years at Michigan, right? He played as a true freshman behind really, really talented edge defenders, Quiddy Pay, Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich, Josh Uche, and to see him rise up the ranks and, and really learn and progress over the course of his career, he had a phenomenal sophomore season with the University of Michigan, and then suffered some adversity, right? Breaks his ankle six snaps into the Indiana game. And what was already a COVID impacted season makes this decision to come back. And he is a big reason why, you know, you look at the Big Ten media days, he was one of the first people in Big Ten media days to bring up beating Ohio State in like last 10 plus years, right? Because the rivalry has been so lopsided, you know, at Michigan, the nine on seven drill was renamed to the beat Ohio State drill because yep. Aiden Hutchinson was so big on that. So I, I do think that you find out a lot about his character and a lot about his leadership. And I do think he was an integral part to what Michigan did this past year. So as it relates to his NFL draft status, the fact that he's sort of been pushed up to this number one potential spot, how much of that do you think was based in part on the performance against Ohio State? And I guess kind of a corollary to that, um, and we can get into this, maybe it's better to hold it for a second question, but, but there's sort of a chicken before the egg thing coming here because Ohio State's linemen are somewhat now dinged by their performance against Hutchinson, but if he's the number one overall pick, and, and he was that good, like how much of that is maybe being overblown? No, for sure. I think, I mean, it's a big part, right? It was a big game, you know, and it was going against NFL caliber offensive linemen and Thayer Mumford and, and Nicholas Petit-Friere. And to see him have the game he did, 15 pressures, three sacks, he breaks his dad's record in that game, that 100% elevated his stock significantly, right? To do it against them in such dominant fashion against what was, you know, they were on pace to potentially win the Joe Moore award, right? I mean, that's how good that Ohio State mm -hmm. offensive line was. And to have the success that he did, I think definitely elevated his stock. And then just to do it again against Iowa, you know, Iowa, he has another really dominant showing and you go to the Georgia game and 
you know, doesn't have the success that he probably wanted, but, you know, so much of the Georgia game plan was trying to run quick game, you know, run things away from him and, and limit his impact through scheme, not necessarily him getting stonewalled in one-on-ones and those types of things. So I do think that the last three games of the season, you saw a lot of respect given to him and also uh, his stock rise, rise significantly. And on the Ohio state side, Obviously, you know, coming out of a game where you give up as many pressures as they did, Mumford and Nicholas Petit-Ferrer weren't, you know, were getting glowing reviews, but I think they were going against a top five pick. You know, Aiden Hutchinson is a lock to go inside the top five at this point. So you kind of have to tip your cap to one of the better talents entering the draft. That reminded me uh, a little bit of the 2000, this is not old, uh, 2007 Ohio State game. It was Jake Long at offensive tackle for Michigan and Vernon Golston as an edge rusher for Ohio state. Now Jake and Vernon Golston kind of did some stuff against Jake long that day. Jake long, like did not get dinked. He wound up being the number one overall pick, but Vernon Golston elevated Vernon Golston wound up going sixth, frankly, probably overdrafted one of the larger draft busts in uh, the last 20 years of the, uh, of the NFL draft. But that kind of magnification of a game, I think you do find out stuff about guys in that scenario. So I did think we, we found out a lot about Aiden Hutchinson in that game. Are there tidbits in here in Hutch? We got, we got any, any secrets of the Ohio state Michigan game. If you're mm-hmm. actually going to get, listen, man, you're we're you got to know your enemy, Ohio state fans who are listening to this, right? Ooh, I'm going to go in. I'm going to listen to Hutch. I'm going to figure out what's going on. You said you broke down every game, right? So there's definitely some stuff in there about the, Michigan Ohio State game from this year. 100%. I mean, I think they did not expect Ajabo and Hutchinson did not expect to get as many one on one opportunities with the tackles, right? Like there mm. have been a lot of other teams that tried to rush them off the football field. You know, you speak to the Michigan State game plan. Anytime Aiden was subbed out, they'd run hurry up. So that way he couldn't sub back in. And that was something that the Western Michigan head coach picked up as well. And he said, man, we didn't know what we were going to expect from Aiden, but he watched Aiden for the rest of the season. He said, Western Michigan, anytime he'd sub out, they'd run hurry up. So that way he couldn't get back on the field. And you didn't really see that with Ohio state. And he didn't really leave the field against Ohio state. I think, running so many five-man protections as they did, it just gave Ojabo and Aiden just like free reign on the offensive tackles. It also helped that Michigan got out to like a little bit of a lead, right? Especially in the second half to where Ohio State becomes a little bit more one-sided than they probably wanted to be. I think the other, you know, like pieces of it is that they went into this season (laughs) with one goal, right? Like, and even after the Michigan State loss, you know, he leads a players-only meeting there at Michigan. He says, we can still accomplish everything we want to accomplish this year, even after losing in East Lansing. And guess what that is? Beating Ohio State. And he kind of just rallies the troop that way. And I think that's what the rivalry needed. And I also think that's what the game of college football needed. I mean, that the game is such a such an uh, you know, instrumental part of the fabric of college football. It, it, honestly, the bigger rivalry that it is, I do think that you know, the bigger aura around college football. So I think he's a big driver in that. He's a big driver in motivating that team. And it was also a very underrated Michigan team, right? They weren't a top 25 team. Jim Harbaugh's coming off a pay cut. Um, you know, they don't, they don't, they're don't, they not regarded for the talent that they have. And they kind of took that on, right? The chip on their shoulder grew and grew. And as they you know marched on this season, they felt that you know no one, everyone doubted them. And when you have such national doubt around a team with that has like legit NFL caliber talent and a Jabo Hutchinson, Blake Corum, um, you know, Josh Harris, Brad Hawkins. Like this is it's such a Dax talented Hill. Jackson Hill. It's such a talented football team that it's, it's, it's insane to even say that anyone doubted them in the beginning. It's interesting. You bring up the, the abundance of one-on-one matchups there that, that Ajabo and Hutchinson got, because it's definitely been the vibe that we got this spring from Ohio state that they don't necessarily regret that approach they regret how they handled it. They regret that their tackles didn't handle it better. So now from conversations with Kevin Wilson, the, the offensive coordinator who has a lot of input with the, the line, 
he's talking about Paris Johnson Jr., who's going to be moving to left tackle, when he's talking about Dewan Jones, who's someone you guys will have a lot more to say about from an NFL draft perspective next year. What's one of the things that gets brought up, like primarily, is how are those guys going to handle one-on-one situations better in 2022? And I think that Michigan game taught them a lot. I would agree 100%. I, I think it also taught Stroud a lot, right? Stroud mm. new to the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, obviously not from, I think he's from California. And, and, you know, Josh Harris, the linebacker, talks a lot about that and how important it was that Aiden was from Michigan, right? And his dad played for the University of Michigan and the Ohio State rivalry meant more to him and it meant more to a lot of the players on that football team. I think it really, for me, in the interview process for Hutch, talking to Josh Harris, you talk to Blake Corum, Cade McNamara, Shea Patterson, Chase Winovich, all these people that obviously like have been ingrained in Michigan football. It's so important to recruit in state and win that because it's such an important rivalry to those kids that do grow up in that, in that state, whether it is Ohio or it is Michigan. And I think it was a good combination of like intrinsic motivation to finally be obviously the Buckeyes. So I don't think this was you. I think it was Renner. I think Mike Renner from PFF had last week, uh, a quote that said, what does it say? Hutchinson is a better athlete than the Bosa brothers. Aiden Hutchinson is a better athlete than the Bosa brothers. Now, I know what he's saying because Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa are incredible talents. They were great college players. They're great NFL players. They're really technique sound. They went to the Larry Johnson School of Pass Rushing. They have all the moves. Their dad is a former first-round pick at defensive end. Their uncle is a former first-round pick. They are bathed in how to be a defensive end. So they have great defensive end skills. Are they the are greatest athletes to ever play defensive end? Maybe not, yeah. right? So I know, I understand what a comment like that means, but um, I know, Austin, last year when we, we watched this game, the Ohio State-Michigan game, you're used to Ohio State guys dominating that game. Oh, what happened? Oh, Chase Young went nuts. Oh, what happened? Oh, well, you know, Joey Bosa tore somebody's arms off. And that's what it felt like in reverse last year, that mm-hmm. Michigan had that guy. He felt it was like, oh, the next great edge rusher in the Ohio State lineage is on this field. He's just playing for Michigan. Yeah. So when, when, when we talk about Hutchinson, then how does he compare with <clears throat> elite guys like Chase Young and the Bosa's and anybody else that's come out in the edge rusher in the past five, eight years? So, you know, Mike was right in that from a measurables perspective, Aiden Hutchinson is a better athlete, right? Athletically tested better in the three cone, tested better in the 40 yard dash, had a better 10 yard split and all this stuff. And I, I feel really good about Aiden Hutchinson as an athlete, but I would still argue Nick, Joey and Chase were better prospects because right. ankle flexion for Bosa's were there. They could bend the corner. They could finish. They, they were coming out with, you know, I think better production and even with Chase Young, better measurables, all that kind of stuff. I, <clears throat> I still feel really that Aiden is up there, right, in that tier, but I'd still argue that both the Bosa's and Chase Young were better prospects coming out. And that's more just on you know, finishing plays, a higher percentage of winning early in the snap, that kind of stuff where – and also the arm length. Arm length is going to be you know, a little bit of concern – for Aiden Hutchinson as he goes into the NFL, like it's sub 10 percentile arm length. The Bosa's didn't have that. Chase Young obviously didn't have that. Um, that matters, right? PFF does a lot of work with production grades and looking at pressure rate and those things. But something as we look at more you know, traits that translate to the NFL, you know, length of the edge defender position is so important to you know uh, sack production and pressure production in the NFL. Speaking of defensive ends, any 
early intel that you've started looking at with Ohio State's guys, especially I guess Zach Harrison would be the one that's that's foremost in front of that. And actually, I suppose before we talk about that, maybe we should touch on Tyreek Smith, who's in this draft class. Yeah, I, I like those as prospects. I don't see either of them in that kind of like upper tier among edge defenders in this class. I like them more as day two, day three types. But, um, you know, I don't think it's the year where Ohio State's entering with like really premium pass rushing talent. And I think that's a big reason why, too, that maybe we didn't see the success on defense that you hope for. I think, you know, college football, what's so important is having pass rushers, having playmakers and having a quarterback. It's not that much different than obviously what you need in the NFL to be deep postseason competitive. So. Let's, let's transition a little bit then to some Ohio State guys that are all in this draft and other positions. Again, it's Austin Gale, the director of content at PFF. Hutch! I think you guys just did it for the nickname, right? <laughs> it's like, what are we? Is there a great player that has a one syllable nickname that we could do a four podcast series on this year? It's like, Hutch? That it just it's, it sings, right? I mean, did you guys, when you're trying to come up with the name for the podcast series, is you're around a big conference table? You know, you're drinking water, maybe having some croissant or something. And someone just says, so there you're saying uh, Aiden or uh, the Michigan pass rush guy or whatever. And then someone just yells Hutch and everybody's like, yep, that's it. Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. I think it was one of our podcast producers said, you know, as we started, it was really early in the project and we hadn't even run it by Aiden or his marketing agency. And we're just like, I think Hutch. No, the Hutch, no, the Hutch podcast, mm. which is Hutch. And it, uh, it rolled off the tongue. So we rolled with it. No, I think that's right. No, the, like the edge. One time I went to a YouTube concert like 25 years ago and it was the edge's birthday and the crowd sang happy birthday to the edge. Just a little weird. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Garrett Wilson. He's famous. He's from Ohio state. How do you view the receivers in this NFL draft. Is there a guy you love? Are there tears in your mind? And where does Garrett, well, we'll do a lot by next, but where does Garrett Wilson fit into your receiver evaluations? So I'm actually a little bit lower on Garrett Wilson. than. All right. That's going to do it for are. Austin Gale. Thank you for joining us <laughs> here. Still, on Buckeye um, Talk. <laughs> He's still a top four receiver in this class for me. I have him at number four. He's the top of tier two. You know, right now I have it as Drake London, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, and then Garrett Wilson. And for Garrett Wilson, the reason I'm a little bit lower compared to Williams or Olave is, you know, I really do love the dynamism. I love um, the shake he has in his routes. I just think he's a little smaller than I look for at the receiver position. And then also, um, you know, inefficient feet, you know, adds a little bit more dance and a little bit more freelance to his routes right now compared to Chris Olave. I think he's one of the best route runners, if not the best route runner in this draft. Like, I think he's that that efficient of a route runner that wins down the field. And I think the reasons to get more on board with Garrett Wilson, and I think a, a lot of the reasons why people like him is he's more of a dynamic athlete than a lot of is, right? He's better after the catch. He can break tackles. He's shiftier and all that stuff. And if that's like the type of player you cover in your offense over say an Olave type that has less yak ability is more of a downfield target. You want winning, you know, 15, 20 yards down the football field more than you want at the short intermediate level. And I think I could see why teams would have Garrett Wilson over Olave, but for me, you know, I think Olave runs the more valuable routes and wins the more valuable routes. And that's down the football field, the deep comeback, the post, the go route, all that stuff that I think Wilson obviously wins too, but he's best utilized at the short intermediate areas. Nathan, what do you think? Keep going. He did. That's a lot of good stuff. You know, I'm, I'm like a Garrett Wilson and our other co-host, Steven, we're like Garrett Wilson, nut jobs. So um, we like Chris Olave too. I'm just kidding. You know, I'm not kicking off a podcast just because you have an opinion. Cause I, you know, I, it's fascinating 
I can't wait to see where they go. And then you throw Jamison Williams that they're the three starting receivers for Ohio state in 2020. It's bazonkers, but Nathan, like we're just really curious to see how this all shakes out. Well, it's, it's funny because we just did a podcast yesterday where we predicted where all these guys would go. And we all had Garrett Wilson going first among not just the two Ohio state receivers, but all receivers. I think we all picked him to be the first receiver off the board. And then as I was doing the the draft capsule that we published, and the first one was going to be on, on Garrett Wilson for this morning, I'm sitting there writing it. And I'm like, well, he doesn't run routes as well as Chris Olave, and they're pretty much exactly as fast as each other. And Olave may be a little bit better physically as far as like his body than people expected. So like it started to make me question in the moment, like, why are we all so sure that Garrett Wilson is the the better prospect. I, I still think he probably might be just because of what you're talking about, that dynamic overall ability. He's got one less year than Wilson than Olave does as far as college experience. Maybe there's still a year more of growth just in his game that can can take him to that level. But I guess as I finished writing that, I it, it kind of dawned on me, maybe I shouldn't be shocked if Chris Olave goes ahead of Garrett Wilson on April 28th. I think ultimately Wilson goes ahead of Olave. I think the league is higher on Wilson than I am, right? And I, I say wide receiver four, but I, I think he's on my board still a top fifteen player in this class, right? I think it's always difficult when you're creating boards that if you like one player, you hate the other guy. It's like no, they're, they're both great. And I think you know the high, I could see Wilson going as high as four to the Jets. He could go eight to the Falcons, ten to the Jets again. Like I could see him going the high. I also think Jamison Williams is going to be heavily valued in this class. Is there concern about the injury? Absolutely, but. But if he did not get hurt in the national championship, I think he's more often discussed as the wide receiver one in this class and more of a lock to go inside the top 10 rather than a guy that could slip into the middle of the first round. Where do you think the league is? Is the league trending anyway, one way or another with a bigger receiver like Drake London or more dynamic yards after the catch guys like Garrett Wilson or just speedsters like Jamison Williams? I mean, there's room for all different guys to succeed, right? But there's such a stark difference in, in the skill sets and size of these top four guys. Is it just team preference? Is it scheme fit? Is it try to match a receiver to what your quarterback does? Well, how do you think NFL teams decide what they want? Yeah. I don't know if this is the best answer, but I think it's a combination of all those things, right? I think with Drake London, in my opinion, you're drafting him to work the short intermediate levels of the football field. You're not drafting him to play the Mike Evans role in Tampa Bay. That's the vertical stretcher down the field wins, you know, on verticals and all that stuff. You're drafting him to play inside and outside and win, you know, the crossers, the, the slants, the hitches, all that stuff. It's very similar. And the comp I have for him is Michael Thomas. Like I think it's very similar to how the saints leverage Michael Thomas plays in the slot, plays a little bit outside wins, wins the routes in front of them and, and wins at the catch point. And I think at the core of a lot of that, is winning, right? And you, there's multiple ways to win your route. You can win with dynamism like Garrett Wilson. You can win with efficiency and route running like Chris Olave, or you can win with just your body and your frame and your physicality like Drake London. And, um, you know, the, the expression I think Shanahan has used and others have used is, you know, build your receiving core like a basketball team. You want complementary skill sets. You can't just have all burners because then you're going to lose some of the stuff and some of the physicality over the middle. You also can't just have all yak types, right? You guys, you need guys that can burn and all that stuff. That's why with London, the, you know, the fit that I do like is the Jets because they already have Elijah Moore that I think is going to win a lot downfield. Washington, Terry McLaurin's one of the better downfield receivers in the NFL. You need someone, you don't ask Drake London to run the full route tree and like blaze down the field for these go routes and stuff. You ask him to, Inside and outside, power slot type of role, and, and work the over the middle. 
who are the comparables you see for Wilson and Olave? Like who, who in the NFL right now, do they remind you the most of? Yeah. So for Olave, I think a really good comparison is Calvin Ridley, obviously before the suspension, Calvin Ridley was never good after the catch, but won so often down the football field. I think his average depth of target at Alabama was like 18 yards. Like he was winning down the field, down the field, down the field to come back. And he wins against man coverage. He wins against off coverage. And it's, speaks to the efficient feet it speaks to you know how how he runs his routes and for Garrett Wilson I struggle with the comp for him I, I I went with Emmanuel Sanders I think Emmanuel Sanders is very similar and I think that's what Garrett Wilson could could, could get to if he cleans up his route running and cleans up the polish with his feet because he's as sudden and as dynamic as Emmanuel Sanders was but Emmanuel Sanders wasn't phenomenal reaching his peak until you started to see him really develop as a route runner. And I think Garrett, Garrett Wilson's still a really good route runner, but if you clean up some of the dancing and some of the freelancing in his routes that you don't see with Olave and you don't see with some of the other receivers in this class, like that's him reaching his maximum potential uh, in the league. And he's also a similar frame, right? Similar frame to what Emmanuel Sanders offered. Is there a fine line there between wanting a guy to be clean um, in, in all aspects of that route tree, but also, at what point does does the the freelancing can't that also be an attribute? Like if a guy is is able to to make plays on his own, like I guess what what how do you how do you strike the balance there? Yeah, I mean, I think a good example of that, and it's a great call out, Nathan, is Jerry Judy. You know, Judy is not a like efficient route runner guy. Like he wants to you know pitter patter his feet to a point where you're just like lost in the sauce, and then he's creating separation short you know short intermediate deep levels of the field and. And that a lot of that's because he has the feet to do it, right? If you have quick feet and they're explosive, you're going to, you know, you talk to Xavier Howard who went toe to toe with Jerry Judy as a rookie. And, and he said, you know, he's going to be one of the best receivers in the NFL because he's just so creative. And Garrett Wilson is a lot of those things, but I think you need to have both. Like sometimes you need to you know, put one less foot in the ground, right? Sometimes you need to not shake so much at the top of your house. I, you can already, I can already see some in my head where Garrett Wilson's giving too many side shimmies in the end zone when he already has the separation, right? I think it's cleaning up some of that stuff that when you talk to like wide receivers coaches and those things, guys that have like coach guys in the NFL will say, okay, if you can just clean a little bit of this up and, and you're going to get open faster, you're going to get your landing marks faster and all that stuff. But he's fortunate, right. That he has enough dynamism to where he can offer a little bit more shake at the stem and that kind of stuff and still like make up for it with some juice. You look at the, the fade route. I think it's against Maryland last year where he just gives the guy one, two. And it's, those are things that other people can't do just because they're not as dynamic and don't have the foot fire that he has. All right, let's jump ahead a year and let's briefly talk about the 2023 nfl draft and let's talk about cj stroud there's been sort of a consensus that's formed around this current class that it's good it's not great of course everybody falls in love with quarterbacks the closer you get they're all going to go higher than we expect kenny pickett has small hands malik willis has great upside but didn't play at the same level i know your guy anthony treese loves desmond ritter i also love desmond ritter and I think he could be not spectacular, but like very, very good and solid and a definite franchise level quarterback. But from what we've seen from CJ Stroud in a year, Austin, can we project is with if, if CJ Stroud was in this draft, would he be picked higher than the guys that so. are in it? I think so. There are some concerns with Stroud's accuracy specifically early in the season, you go back to that Oregon game. I thought he was all over the place. I was at that game actually. And that is a lot of that's also because he's young, right? He's a super young quarterback in college football. 
football that I think is still like learning to play the position at that level. I am a massive CJ Stroud fan though, because mm. I think he has really good arm talent, good athleticism, reads the field already really well for a young quarterback. I think it's just the accuracy, right? And when you have you know, quarterbacks and PFFs grading systems specifically, a way that you can really get downgraded is just being inaccurate. And if you're inaccurate with the football consistently and you're wild with your throws, it's going to be harder to get higher on PFFs draft board. But for me, I see a lot of that is just in his inexperience. And now if you see a lot of the same accuracy concerns next year, that's where I'd probably start you know, slowing down a little bit on the hype that is him being potentially a top two, top three pick next year. But I honestly think I saw him improve so much over the course of you know last season, and I'm banking on a lot of that trajectory. I think it's also very difficult to you know frame quarterback NFL prospects early in their careers. I go back to DJ Wangalele before the 2021 season. I thought this guy was on his way to be you know number one overall pick, and this past year he was the least accurate quarterback in the FBS. <laughs> you 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 have to like really see how these guys develop, especially how old is CJ Stroud, 18, 19 years old. Like he needs some time to develop in that system before I'm willing to say, you know, lock to be a top three pick or any of those things. And then let's choose Jackson Smith and Jigba quickly. Third mm-hmm. guy in that group last year, wound up leading the big 10 and receiving set the all-time big 10 record for receiving yards in a season. I know you've, you've seen him, you've taken a look at him. How does he compare? I don't know if it's is it useful to use Olave and Wilson as touch points for Jackson Smith and Jigba? Or should we just talk about what he can be just on his own merits? This might be unfair to say, but I think he has a lot of like a really easy blend of both their skill sets, mm. right? I think he's got the dynamism that Wilson has, but maybe at this not at the same level. He's got uh, the speed and this and the smoothness to his tree that a lot of has, but maybe not at that level. But so much of that, in my opinion, again, is he's a young player. Like, let's see this guy next year. Is he going to play more on the outside too? Because I know he played a high percentage of his snaps from the slot next last year that kept him from press a ton, that saw him work against off coverage a ton. How they use JSN next year, I think will really, really dictate his NFL prospects. So if Hartline says, I like him on the outside, I think he can win as an outside guy, that's going to mean a lot to teams. And if we see that, that's going to mean a lot to his uh, projection. If he sticks out on the slot, though, he'll probably still be, you know, it just be, it'd be harder to evaluate, okay, can this guy go outside and actually have success? We think so, it's going to be in the slot. That's what they've said so far. But I am very curious how, what kind of that, what that means for his NFL conversation. We got to let you out of here, Austin. Nathan, wrap us up with one more. I was just going to follow up on that and just say and and ask, what is it about the, the getting outside that would appeal? Is it just showing the versatility to the NFL scouts, or is it that you need to show a a certain skill set that that most predominantly works on the outside? So much of it is just putting it on tape, right? You go to you go back to Justin Jefferson, who I was. You know, he did not play a lot in the outside his last year at LSU, and he falls a little bit further in the draft probably than he should have because you didn't see him play a ton of outside receiver. You didn't see him go against outside corners. You didn't see him play against a ton of press. And and when you got Joe Burrow, who's the number one overall pick, you got Jamar Chase, who's, you know, commanding stuff on the outside. It's difficult to say, okay, is Justin Jefferson, if positioned as an outside receiver in the NFL, going to have the same success? And then he goes to the combine. He tests a lot better than people expect. And it's like, okay, wait a second. Maybe this guy can stick it out and has the tool set to do so. And I remember Chris Collinsworth, who's obviously the majority owner of PFF. He said he talked to Justin Jefferson in the pre-draft process. And he said, Jefferson asked Joe Brady, which position in your offense gets the most touches? And he said slot. And he says, I'll play that. That's that's mm-hmm. so when you get some of those questions answered, you can feel a lot better as a guy. But if you know you talk to Hartline and says, we think he's best positioned in the slot, that's where his skill set makes the most sense. It's like, okay, you start to have some concerns. It's like 
okay, why are we playing him on the outside where you can win the more valuable routes and those kinds of things? But it's more like, hey, if JSN plays the slot, he's probably going to go for 2,000 yards, then you're probably going to run it that way as well. I think the best answer for Jackson Smith and Jigba is that's why Jameson Williams wasn't at Ohio State this last year because they wanted to get Jackson Smith and Jigba in the starting lineup and moved Garrett Wilson back outside. And now you've got a guy who, in some estimations, is the best receiver in this class switching schools because uh, these didn't have room for him anymore. No, for sure. That's exactly right. And, it, and some people use that as a knock on Jameis Williams. I think it's more that Williams, I mean, it's tough because you had just so much talent. I think Alave, you're not going to bench Alave for Williams, who made the decision to come back for Ohio State when he could have easily entered the draft. And the same could be said for Garrett Wilson. And I think the common, you know, debating between JSN and Jameis Williams is probably a little difficult. Williams obviously saw an opportunity to legitimately start for the best team in the country. All right. He's Austin Gale. He's the content uh, director at PFF, writes all kinds of good stuff. They got great staff there, Austin. You got a lot of good people doing a lot of good things. We have the PFF subscription. We like to reference stuff. Um, I like the way you guys analyze the game, and I, I like an outlet like yours branching out into something like this. So all four episodes of Hutch, are they already out, or are you dropping them bit by bit? All four episodes are out. You can get them on PFF's YouTube channel or wherever you find your podcast. The podcast title is Hutch. Hutch. That's H-U-T-C-H. It's five letters, people. Five letters to type into your podcast search thing. And you go find this thing. You can hear what Abe Hutchinson had to say about playing Ohio State last year and everything else. Austin Gale, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, you know, maybe next year, maybe Stroud. Right. If you're just I looking like that. for I one like word title. Your heads at, Doug. So it has a better yeah. ring to it than Coleridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually his first name. <laughs> yeah. So we'll work on that. Maybe it could be a joint Buckeye Talk PFF production. Stroud. Right. Yeah, we'll work on it. Well, our people will talk to your people. Austin, thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Austin Gale for joining us here on Buckeye Talk. Listen, I, well, hey, hey, we've got to talk about a Michigan guy. I think it's interesting. I think you guys, I haven't listened to it yet, but I think you might get some intel about the game. Know thy enemy. And, uh, and we wanted to then, you know, talk about some Ohio State stuff, which we did. I do think it's interesting to think about Aiden Hutchinson. I think pretty definitively he's the best Big Ten player Ohio State played since Saquon Barkley. I think, I mean, Saquon Barkley was the number two pick in the 2018 draft. He certainly will be the highest selected non-Ohio State Big Ten player since Saquon Barkley. But when we're, I guess, I don't know, Jonathan Taylor, maybe, I guess, with Jonathan Taylor being there, the Wisconsin running back. I mean, that 2018 version of Rondell Moore has to be brought up, I think. He was an All-American. Yeah. So, um I like doing stuff. I mean, that's the kind of list that we could do, but I mean like based off Aiden Hutchinson, but it is, it's one of those things. Not that Michigan is the same as Purdue and Iowa, but my gosh, they hadn't beaten them in forever. So it's like, Oh, well, what are you going to, if you're in the big 10, you want to beat Ohio state. What does, what do we always say? NFL talent. Right. So well, we talked about Rondell Moore. We talked about Iowa cornerback, Josh Jackson back then Saquon and Penn state never got over the top against Ohio state, but they pushed him. You know, it's like, oh, what? Do you, oh, there's a shock, Nathan. How do you beat Ohio State? Have NFL players. But this guy, and I don't know that I remembered or knew because it was weird because we just, the COVID year was so weird anyway. And then Ohio State Michigan didn't play, but he was already out for the year. The whole, hey, he was going to go pro if we didn't break his ankle. I didn't 
I don't know that I knew that. And it's like Ohio State's like, oh man, I wish that guy didn't break his ankle. Yeah, I I think that was out there, and just one of those weird ways that you know the 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 COVID season and that whole experience. Um, I don't know that we've ever fully like absorbed everything that happened in 2020 and it's going to be 2025. There's going to be some interesting things written, probably looking back on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think if you did the 10 best pass rushers in the big 10 in the last 10 years or whatever, something, I wonder how many of those guys would be Ohio state guys. I mean, if you went back a little farther, you'd be throwing Ryan Kerrigan from Purdue in there. You would throw Carl Loftus in there even though he didn't do much against Ohio state, you throw in Hutchinson, you throw in Ojabo. That would be an interesting list because again, once you get past the Boses and Chase Young, then you're still Sam Hubbard's in that mix. Tyquan Lewis is in that mix, right? Would you get to a point where, uh, I don't know, it was like would Jalen Holmes be in that mix, you know, when you get to the 10 spot Would Zach Harrison, I don't know. It almost makes me want to do it to find out what's the balance of Ohio state guys versus not Arnold Abikidi is going to go high in this draft from Penn state. Boy, Mafe is going to go high in this draft. He might sneak into the back of the first round from Minnesota. As we've talked about a couple of times, there were just a lot of really good pass rushers on Ohio State's schedule last year, and they handled most of them. Yeah. They just didn't this, handle Aiden Hutchinson. And I, I wanted to ask him just that about that dichotomy because the it, it all Nicholas Petit Frere's draft status. His, his draft appraisal, so much of it comes down to whether you think three games and a lot of it is that Michigan game overshadows like 16 other games he played over the last two years where he was at times like dominant and ranked among the best tackles in the country and, and, and by a lot of metrics, mostly PFF's own metrics. But something like 19 of his 26 pressures that he allowed last year came in three games, the Penn State game, the Nebraska game and the Michigan game, which were probably the three toughest fronts that Ohio State played all year at least in the regular season, because they didn't face Thibodeau against Oregon. And per, so, But uh, Purdue, you throw Purdue. And Purdue, oh, yeah, Purdue. yeah. But, but, but Purdue was, it, it was, as we talked about extensively that week, kind of a one-man show. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know that you could say that about those other teams, that even though they may have had one guy that stood out, there was, it's, I thought it was a more of a, a, you had to be multiple against them. So um, I, don't, I don't really know how to, because then – he had no problems with Karloftis, really. He had no problems with Boye Mafe. Uh, no problem. Go back a year earlier, those Penn State guys that ended up getting drafted pretty high, they got shut down by Ohio State's tackles. Like, I I really don't know what how much you should hold that against Nicholas Petit-Frere. But at the same time, if you're gauging a guy's NFL readiness, I want to know how he did against NFL players. So it's I, I don't know how to balance that. And it is interesting to think about that Ohio State game plan against Hutchinson and Ojabo that they almost probably, I don't want to say fell into a trap, but probably the worst thing that can happen to you is you think you have two guys who can handle things one-on-one and then they can't. As opposed to other teams that are like, we can't block this guy one-on-one. What We're going to work all week on what we're going to do. Now, again, they did give some help at times. You're keeping a tight end. You chip with the running back. You do a little bit here and there. But they wound up with some one-on-one matchups because you believe in your dudes. And based off what Nicholas Petit-Frere and Thayer Munford had done, I it was reasonable to believe in it. And listen, they didn't get smoked every single snap, but right. Aiden Hutchinson was able to do enough. He was the difference maker, and Michigan won. And then you throw in Ojabo, and there you have it. Should we do a Buckeye fly effect on what would have happened if Luke Farrell had come back for his COVID mm. year? 
Because it seems like a guy would have helped him in that game. We'll call maybe call Luke Farrell and get him on for that. See, could you block Dayton Hutchinson? I, I would. I give Luke Farrell a chance at least. Uh, okay, yeah. so something else is something different. We'll keep it a little shorter on this one. We did big. If you just if you want other draft stuff, make sure you listen to that Wednesday pod where Nathan, Stephen, and I drafted all the guys uh, who are in it here for the Buckeyes. We will come back with more rapid fire, more spring game stuff. You know, we're leaning into the draft, but we still want to make sure we wrap up everything that happened that mattered in spring football for Ohio State. So that's the plan. Another rapid fire on Friday. For now, thanks to Austin Gale of PFF. Good luck to the PFF folks with Hutch. And for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.